I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, September 16th, 2013. Oh man, I'm telling you, (laughs) I think this program could be controversial. And I know that you regular listeners are going, gasp, say it isn't so. You've never been known to be controversial before, Chris. Why are you doing this now? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. The way we do that is by slowing down, stopping, and checking what people say in context. And (laughs) in context, oftentimes we find stuff that just can't even be found in the Bible at all, just being palmed off, you know, like... Uh, you're thinking panhandler style, uh, as if it's biblical doctrine and it's not. And, um, yeah, uh, especially by so-called seeker-driven leaders. Now, today's episode, I I don't have a monologue prepared. And the reason I don't have a monologue prepared is because I think we need to get into it. Um, let's just put it this way. There's a lot of moving parts in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, a lot of them. And uh, those of you who've uh, sent me video links and email link, you know, with the emails with the links to the things that were said yesterday by the elders, four of the elders for Harvest Bible Chapel, we will be getting to that today. Um, I, you know, and I was really tempted to uh, play that video with like music from a horror movie playing in the background. It was like, you know, I felt like I was watching an episode of the Stepford Elders. I mean, it is absolutely one of the most chilling things that I have seen. Um, and uh, when you uh, hear what what was said yesterday, if you know anybody who attends Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, you need to have a real heart-to-heart with them, probably with tears and everything, begging them that they are in danger. There's something really bad going on down there at Harvest Bible Chapel, and you'll hear it for yourself today. In fact, let's talk about what we're going to do 
on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a plethora of things before you. We're going to start off kind of in a, in a strange place. We're going to start off with a Joel Osteen update. And the Joel Osteen update, believe it or not, has everything to do with the rest of the program. It's just that I want to I want to kind of introduce a concept to you. And Joel Osteen does such a great job of it himself that, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll let Joel kind of kick off today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So we'll, we'll start off with a Joel o- Osteen update. And then what we will do is we will play audio from a video that was recently um, recorded from um, the Potter's House down there in uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, that would be T.D. Jakes's church to remind you of a crime that took place uh, less than two years ago. Elephant Room 2, and the two, two primary people responsible for the crime that took place there, they are James McDonald and uh, Mark Driscoll. We will then switch gears after our break, and we will switch gears and move into um, a, a, a James McDonald update with a hook in, if you would, to uh, uh, to Mark Driscoll. I may reverse the order of that coming out of the break, but uh, you know, either way, we, we're going to talk about both Mark Driscoll and James McDonald in the in the same half hour of the program. And then in hour number two, we're going to go to Joplin, Missouri, to Ignite Church, and uh, listen to oh man, a sermon by uh, Heath Mooneyhan, um, and you know, called Tailgater. And talk about, you know, just, a, you know, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip, uh, all law, no gospel kind of sermon, uh, which ironically, uh, there's a kind of a major point that I'm going to make in listening to that sermon, but you, you'll get it. So just just trust me when I tell you today's episode of Fighting for the Faith will be controversial and will step on toes, and uh, for some uh, very good reasons is the, probably the best way that I, I need to say that. I don't try to step on toes just because I like stepping on toes because I don't like stepping on toes. I don't do controversy for the sake of controversy. I ask the questions that need to be asked uh, because uh, they, they these are questions that must be asked and a lot of people are just not asking them. So <clears throat> with that, I think we just need to dive into the program proper. And since we're going to start off with a Joel Osteen update, well, that requires me to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. All right, that's our Joel Osteen update music. Uh, Chip Skylark, uh... My shiny teeth and me. All right, uh, we're gonna just dive right into it. the The particular thing I want to get to is a few minutes into this video, and uh, as I've made the habit of doing, I'm going to actually play for you the commercial that goes along with this segment of Joel Osteen's program. And by the way, if you've listened f- for five minutes to a Joel Osteen sermon, you've heard the whole thing. <laughs> Just saying. So you're going to hear, starting off here, you're going to hear their commercial for their product, their DVDs, you know, teaching that you can purchase a copy of called Live Your Dream. 
Now, if I've commented on this before, and I probably have, um, it might seem kind of redundant. But let me tell you, um, Joel Osteen's teaching is just that. It's redundant. And just listen to what it is that they're selling and what it is that they're saying in how they're selling it. And then when we get into the message, you, you'll, you know, I'll make the points as we go so you can kind of hear what it is that uh, I need to put in here to kind of get – well, you get what I'm saying. So without any further ado, here's Joel and Victoria Osteen. Uh, to begin their message, you have what you need, and uh, it's they'll be selling at the beginning of it the uh, Live Your Dream DVD. So here we go. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Joel's new series, Live Your Dream, as a thank you for your support of our ministry. In this inspiring new series, you'll discover that nothing is too big for God. He has already equipped you with everything you need to live out your dreams. He has. He's already equipped me with everything I need to live out my dreams. Where in the Bible does this is this doctrine taught? You know, why is it that all those Christian martyrs? You remember, like early on in Christian history, and by the way, this still happens today in Muslim countries. You, know, you confess your faith in Christ, you are you literally are marked for death. But you know, you think back in the you know in the time when Christianity was just starting out, and the Roman Empire you know made it like a sport. You know, the people would attend. Uh, you know, they, they'd go into the arenas and the coliseums to watch Christians being killed. You know, why weren't they living their dream? You know, I, I could just see those poor people, you know, being lit on fire, you know, or being fed to the animals saying, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Like that did them any good. Uh, they The reason why is because they didn't teach that doctrine the way <clears throat> it's being taught today because they actually read biblical texts in, in context rather than out of context. But we continue. You have everything it takes to accomplish your dreams. You have the talent, the wisdom, and the favor. When you take steps of faith, you'll see God do amazing things. God wouldn't have given you the dream unless he had already equipped and empowered you. I hope you'll request this resource. Man. I know it will help you to live your dreams. Request your copy. Yeah, God wouldn't have given you the dream if... <clears throat> we continue, though. Here's the message outright. Well, God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services We'd love to have you be a part. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. I am so scratching that off of my bucket list. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you again for coming out today. And I like to start with something funny. And I heard about these three pastors. They were in a boat together one day fishing. One of the pastors said, We never get to let our hair down. Let's each tell the area that we struggle in the most, our greatest sin, so we can pray for each other. The first pastor said, I hate to admit this, but I have a problem with gambling. Sometimes I sneak out at night and gamble. The second pastor said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I have a problem with cheating. I hardly ever pay my taxes. The third pastor sat there silently. They waited and waited and he wouldn't budge. They said, we're not leaving until you tell us your greatest sin. He said, all right, my greatest sin is with gossip and I can't wait to get off this boat. Put on Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. 
Today I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about how you have what you need. It's easy to think if I had more money, I could accomplish my dreams. If I had a bigger house, then. Okay, so the pro- b- b- major presenting problem here is that, uh, you know, I need to accomplish my dreams. I, but Joel is here to assure us that God's word teaches that we have everything we need to accomplish our dreams. And I'd be happy if I had more talent, better personality. If I knew the right people, then I could do something great. But as long as you feel like you're lacking, you don't have enough, you were shortchanged, then you'll make excuses to be less than your best. What? <laughs> What's the point of having a Bible? You're just going to make stuff up. You've got to have a new perspective. God has given you exactly what you need for the season that you're in. You have the talent, the friends, the connections, the resources, the experience you need for right now. Doesn't mean that's all you're ever going to have. You may need more next month or next year. When that time comes, God will make sure that you have more then. Okay, again, which text are you preaching from again? Psalm 34 says, those who trust in the Lord will never lack any good thing. Okay, Psalm 34. Let's take a look at that. Let's put it in context, although this isn't really the point I want to focus on. But I think it's important that if, well, Joel Osteen's going to rip a verse out of context, we better put it back in context to see what's going on. Psalm 34, I'll start at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, and let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look at him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, that's what it says. I just read it in context. Let me read a little bit more. Verse 11. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Notice it says, it doesn't say many are the afflictions of the evil. It says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. 
The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, Joel Osteen, in ripping Psalm 34, verse 10, out of context, has taken the emphasis and put it on the wrong syllable. That's a, that's a, a metaphor we use here. An example we use here frequently at Fighting for the Faith. It's the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Notice it that he put the emphasis on, oh, you're gonna you're gonna lack no good thing. You all that means you have everything you need right now. You have the connections and all this kind of stuff. This is not what this text is saying. The the emphasis of this text is on the Lord and how amazing and wonderful his is. He is. The idea is, is that the Lord is the object of our faith. He is the source of our righteousness. He is the source of our salvation. And here the psalmist is fixing our eyes on the Lord, not on ourselves and not on the thing that we have, but fixing them on God. So what Joel Osteen is doing by ripping this out of context, he's putting the emphasis on the good thing rather than on the one who gives the good thing, that being the Lord. We continue. Because your trust is in the Lord, you don't have to worry. Whatever you need, God will make sure you have it when you need it. You won't lack any good thing. This means if you don't have it right now, don't fight it. Don't be discouraged. You don't need it right now. Our attitude should be, I'm equipped, empowered, and anointed for this moment. I am not lacking Notice the emphasis. I'm equipped. I'm anointed. I'm this. Yet Psalm 34 is all about the Lord. He delivers. He saves. He. You see the difference? It's the difference of I or he. Joel Osteen fixes your eyes firmly on you, not on the Lord. But we continue. Or changed, inadequate, missing out, less than I have what I need for today. This approach is so much better than thinking, if I just had the finances, if the loan would have gone through, if they would have been my friend, if I had a better personality. Listen, if you needed a better personality, God would have given you a better personality. God wasn't having a bad day when he created you. If you needed more talent, God would have given you more talent. If you needed more friends, you would have more friends. Take what you have and make the most of it. It's what you need for right now. Years ago, I used to think if we... Now keep listening from this point forward. We're getting into the neighborhood of the focus of where I want to, you know, want you to pay attention. If we had a bigger building, if we had more members, if I could minister better, if I had more experience, there was always something I didn't have or I couldn't do. Some reason... I couldn't feel good about myself. One day I realized what I'm telling you. I have what I need for the season that I'm in right now. I have the strength that I need for today. It may not be enough strength for tomorrow, but that's okay. When that day comes, God will give me strength for tomorrow. I have the talent, the qualifications, the experience I need for right now. It may not be as much as somebody else has, but that's okay. I'm not competing with them. I'm competing with myself to become the best me that I can possibly be. I'm competing with myself to become the best me that I can. Notice the, the, where the emphasis is. It's all on me and I, not the Lord. Someone wrote an article one time that talked about 
how I haven't been to seminary and how I wasn't qualified to lead a large ministry. That's correct, because God's Word actually makes it very clear that a pastor must study and show himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth. You read the pastoral epistles, you know, Titus in particular, pastors are charged with teaching what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuking those who contradict it. Because Joel Osteen does not rightly handle God's word, it shows that he's not qualified to be a pastor. Now, not everybody who's been to seminary truly rightly handles God's word. But let's put it this way. In seminary, oftentimes that's the place where men do learn how to properly handle God's word, especially if the seminary is a good seminary. But Joel Osteen has not been to the seminary. So he's, he's commenting on the fact that somebody wrote an article saying he's not qualified to be a pastor because he hasn't been to seminary. But listen to Joel's answer. Says a lot. First, that kind of bothered me. Then I read in Galatians 1, where the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, said, I was not appointed by any group or by human authority. My call is from God, who raised Jesus from the dead. Ah, so Joel Osteen, you see, he doesn't need a human authority or what. He has a direct call from God. Just like the Apostle Paul. So you can't challenge or question him. No, I mean, he's received direct revelation. He's the leader. He's doing what God has called him to do. And it doesn't matter if he's not qualified. It doesn't matter if he doesn't know how to rightly handle God's word. It doesn't matter if he's been properly trained in sound doctrine. No, sir. He has received a direct calling from God. So how dare you say Joel Osteen is not qualified to be a pastor? That will come into play later in today's program. I want you to keep that tucked away. Just that idea, that concept. Oh, I can't be challenged. I'm the man of God. I'm doing what God has told me to do. That will come into play Later. Now, what I've got to do at the moment is, uh, well, since we're going to switch gears, we're going to, again, I apologize for the lack of uh, smooth segues today. I hope that at the end of the program, you will see how it all works together. But we're going to switch gears and we're going to uh, do a um, TD Jakes update. And it's not just a standard TD Jakes update because you won't hear very much from TD Jakes. TD Jakes is in the video. But you won't hear much of him. You're going to hear Tyler Perry, yeah, yeah, Ty, the media mogul guy, Tyler Perry. Uh, he recently was there at uh, the Potter's house. And I need to remind you of something here. But uh, so because this was just a couple of weeks ago and we're doing a money-grubbing televangelist update, that requires me to do this. Get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle for wearing it in green. 
I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Greenback collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for that cabbage man, to me is golden nectar, pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me, money, 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 and if they ever plant trees of enormous unum, I want to be the guy that they send out to Brewerum, oh give me money, that's right, Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Yeah. All right. Now, what you're going to hear uh, momentarily is audio from a video of Tyler Perry making a cameo appearance, if you would, at the Potter's house out there in Dallas um, shortly after their big, uh, you know, heresy palooza fest that they had and uh, the woman thou art loose thing. This is just like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago tops. And uh, you're going to hear Tyler Perry talking. And in the background is... um, T.D. Jakes and Tyler Perry is going to, you know, televangelist style lay hands on T.D. Jakes and T.D. Jakes is going to start writhing around. And um, yeah, just listen into this because there's a money angle on all of this, too. But uh, here's, um, you know, a little bit of some weird shenanigans going on over at the Potter's house with Tyler Perry. Here we go. God bless you. It's called me a little off guard, Bishop. A, a, a couple of, uh, what was it, three or four days ago? Three or four days ago, I, I called. I was at Manpower. And uh, being blessed, wrote my check out. I said, you know, I, I, I didn't have my checkbook when I got to Pastor White's. Uh, when I got to a uh, uh, woman that I lose the night before, and Pastor White said. Pastor White would be. Paula White, Pastrix, Paula White. You know, write a check for $113,000, for those of you who can. Write a, write a check for $113 for Psalms 113. And I... Write a check for $113 because of Psalm 113. Why is it these televangelist types never have, you know, pull up Psalm 1? Write a check for $1, you know, because of Psalm 1. The check for $113,000. And I admit... <clears throat> My intention was to just leave the check and bless God. Because, see, I love to give. I've been a giver all my life. And when people have given to you and sown into you and God has touched them and given given you favor. Because, see, when you have favor with, come on, somebody. See, they don't understand it where I come from. They don't understand it in Hollywood. But I'm going to tell you something about the blood of Jesus. I doubt that. All of my life, you know, my mother, she didn't have much to give me. She didn't have millions of dollars. She didn't have some legacy, but she had Jesus. And she taught me about that God. So I didn't even know that he was she was trying to build this youth center. I didn't even know it, but I know how important the youth are. So we were sitting in the service, and I leaned up toward him, and I said, I've just been touched to give a million dollars. So as... 
So when you got up here and you said a million dollars, I said, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know I heard your voice. And of course, T.D. Jakes is you know right in the background there, and boy, he's clapping hard. Whoo, million bucks. Hey. <laughs> Now that's Tyler Perry supposedly speaking in tongues. That's not speaking in tongues, by the way. Tongues, it's a tongues are a legitimate language. You don't know. Um, this isn't tongues. This is just a show. I'm gonna tell you right now. When you hear the voice of God, you move. Don't worry about what nobody says to you. Don't worry about... So when you hear the voice of God, you move. Now, we're talking about that subjective thing, kind of like Joel Osteen did, you know, because he hasn't been to seminary, but he's called just like the Apostle Paul, you know, because God gave him the dream. And so if God's calling you the and you know, telling you to move, well, you got to move, you know? What it looks like, don't worry about your enemy. Don't worry about your hater. He will bless you. He will lift you. He will... Get- Sometimes you spend too much time worried about your haters. You spend too much time worried about people talking about you. But what you need to understand is that the Bible says in order for you to be blessed, your haters have to be present. How do I know that? Uh, In order for you to be blessed, your haters have to be present? The book of Psalms says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in order for me to eat, they have to be present. So God bless you, Bishop. I pray right now that you will continue to do everything you're doing. I pray his anointing will stay upon you. I pray the power of God all over you. I pray. All right. Now, Tyler Perry is making say he's almost to uh, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes has his arms spread out wide and Tyler Perry is about to touch him. All right, so now he's taken his hand, put it on the top of um, T.D. Jakes's bald forehead, and you got the guys back behind T.D. Jakes getting ready to catch him. You know, think uh, Benny Hinn style here. He'll come upon you right now, keep you in his hair. God, I thank you for your blessings. Yeah, and if you believe this is real, you probably believe that um, <clears throat> um, television wrestling is real, too. So uh, T.D. Jakes looks like he's totally overcome by the Holy Spirit here. He's you know practically delirious. And I think we're going to have Tyler Perry's wife talking here in just a second. Uh, uh, T.D. Jakes is now convulsing. And this is where it gets really weird. Come on, somebody give God some praise. He's pushing that baby out. He's pushing that baby out. Okay, so there's T.D. Jakes on stage convulsing. And I think this is Tyler Perry's wife saying that T.D. Jakes is... Getting ready to push the baby out. Now, I, I calculated this up, and um, you know, the Elephant Room 2 was over a year and a half ago, so I think that's well past the normal nine-month gestation period. So I'm not sure what is getting... Well, yeah, come to think of it, 
you know, maybe he's giving birth to elephant room three, and elephants have a longer gestation period. You know what I mean? Somebody's pushing that baby up. Somebody call a push. Push. Push, TDJ. Push. You got you to gotta push that baby out. Yeah, all along I thought that uh, T.D. Jakes, well, just was like me and, you know, was a man of girth. And who knew that he was pregnant? He was getting ready to push a baby out. So that's the audio from that. But let me just kind of remind you of something here. And there's a reason why I want to remind you all of this. That was just a couple weeks ago. Um, And a year and a half ago, a little more than a year and a half ago now, um, T.D. Jakes and Mark Driscoll gave – well, that's sorry, not T.D. Jakes. Uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll gave T.D. Jakes a clean bill of theological health. Uh, let me remind you what uh, James McDonald said um, post Elephant Room 2 on the uh, Chris Faberly uh, program. Listen in. No, I would say that probably the real rub comes at this point is is that um, a lot of people have asserted very strongly that they do not believe that T.D. Jakes is a Christian. And I would disagree with that uh, adamantly. Crawford Loritz, who's well-known to the Moody family and um, and uh, speaks frequently at the Moody conferences, is also a Gospel Coalition member, and he agreed wholeheartedly with me that the assertion that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian is outrageous. All right. Mark Driscoll, who's also a Gospel Coalition member and a friend of mine, he came and participated in the Elephant Room because he would agree that the assertion that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian is an outrageous assertion. All right. All right. So just want to put that in by way of reminder. A year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, um, Mark uh, James McDonald, speaking for himself and Mark Driscoll, say that it's an absolutely outrageous thing to say that T.D. Jakes is not a Christian. I don't see any fruit that he's a Christian. I don't see any evidence in his teaching that he's a Christian. And, of course, he believes in the Trinity as long as by three persons you mean three manifestations. And then, of course, you know, um, you know, having your pastor push out a Holy Spirit baby during the middle of the service after reminding everybody to give a Psalm 119 gift and talking about millions of dollars and then shaking in the Holy Spirit. Although that's all Christian, too, right? Now, all of this is relevant for what we're going to cover on the other side of the break. So what we'll do right now, we'll pause, we'll pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a full-blown James McDonald update, and I'll tie it into some recent news regarding Mark Driscoll. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Bird cage 
Theater presents Church Day Select. I do wish these planes would give us passengers more legroom. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be swiftly thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. New Jersey anyway! That's it! God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey! I have my rights! You can't do this to people! Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened! There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Keep more of your money in your pocket. 
Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. pre-warning if you have an elder board that says the elder consensus is required otherwise you're going against god you've got a real problem at that church just a reminder fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you into the world and you can partner with us by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Look out, look out, big elephants on parade. Here they come, hippity-hoppity. They're here, and there big elephants everywhere. Look out, look out, they're walking around the bed, on their head, clippity-cloppity, parade, in braid, big elephants on parade. What'll I do, what'll I do, what an unusual view. I can stand this That's right, this is our James McDonald update music. Technicolor pachyderms is really too much for me. <laughs> I am not the type to faint when things are odd or things are quaint, but seeing things, you know that ain't concerned. 
frightened. give you an awful fright. What a sight. Chase them away. Chase them away. I'm afraid. Need your aid. Big elephants on parade. Pink elephants. There we go. Pink elephants. All right. Now, what you're going to hear momentarily is audio from a video played yesterday at Harvest Bible Chapel uh, where four of the elders are responding to um, some resignations uh, that they've experienced on their elder board over there at Harvest Bible Chapel. And what you're going to hear is absolutely chilling. Chilling in the sense that what they're basically saying is is that if you go against elder board consensus and you're a member of the elder board, you are sinning. In other words, the consensus, the majority rules of the elder board at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel. Now, if you want to hear the other part of this, the other side of the story, you need to go to the the website, the Elephant's Debt, theelephantsdebt.com. And you will find there extensive documentation explaining who are these elders, why did they leave, and uh, you know why were they you know you know off the elder board so that you can hear the other side of the story. But what we're going to focus in on is what the elders from Harvest Bible Chapel said, and this was a video played at Harvest Bible Chapel yesterday in all of their uh, multi-site campi, if you would. So listen in. This is. Rather fascinating. It'll start off with James McDonald. Here we go. And I'm so thankful to be part of this church. This church is such a great blessing to me and to our family. And and uh, I just want to remind you uh, that God has entrusted uh, spiritual authority uh, to the local church. And uh, every local church um, has a, an authority under God. Uh, we believe that the Bible teaches that the authority of the church is vested in the elders. By the way, the authority that has been given by Christ to the church, even elders and pastors, is the uh, the authority to serve, not rule. Big difference. Now, when the elders speak uh, collectively in agreement, they speak uh, for God uh, to our church. Now, I'm going to back that up. I want you to hear what he said in context. He's literally saying, and that when the elders you know, agree on something collectively, God is speaking to the church through them. Yeah, listen to this. This is a Harvest Bible Chapel elder man, uh, magisterium, if you would. Under God, uh, we believe that the Bible teaches that the authority of the church is vested in the elders. And uh, when the elders speak uh, collectively in agreement, they speak uh, for God uh, to our church. So when they speak collectively in agreement, they speak for God. Wow. I mean, this just smacks of Roman Catholicism. This is really weird for at least an evangelical church. Not Rome, but an evangelical church. Listen in. That's about as uh, serious as serious gets. And uh, here are uh, four of the elders in our church that have a message uh, for us that we would do well to take heed to. So listen uh, very carefully. These four men are speaking on behalf of the entire elder board of our church on every campus. Listen now. My name is Paul and Sarah. My name is Steve Houston. My name is Randy Williams. My name is Jamie Harrison. All but one member meeting is successfully behind us. But we come to you today further fulfilling our pledge of greater transparency with a sad but necessary message from our entire elder board of our church. 
We need to communicate with you regarding the discipline of two former elders and their combined effort with other former elders all outside Harvest, working to discredit our elder board and destroy our pastor. Three elders that broke with the rest of our 30-member elder board in June have continued to spread discord through their false and unrelenting viewpoint. To sow discord through their false and unrelenting viewpoint? Again, the details when you read it on The Elephant's Debt is these are elders who are asking for specific things regarding transparency, regarding James McDonald's annual salary, and things of that nature. The stuff that that should be out in the open. You you get what I'm saying here? Uh, But apparently they suffer from an unrelenting viewpoint that's causing discord. Hmm. That was unanimously rejected by the elders over many months and with finality in our June meeting. So the elders there at Harvest, they rejected this viewpoint through a vote, a consensus vote. Okay. They made their point, we rejected their opinions, but they refused to submit to elder consensus, choosing instead to sow discord and create division. They, they, they what? They refused to do what? Let me back that up. They ref- Wow. Listen again. Point. That was unanimously rejected by the elders over many months and with finality in our June meeting. They made their point, we rejected their opinions, but they refused to submit to elder consensus. Choose- we rejected their opinions and they refused to submit to elder consensus? Where does the Bible say that somebody must relent and submit to elder consensus? Exodus chapter 23 verse 2 says this, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Scripture makes it perfectly clear that the consensus and the many can actually be wrong. And, and, and you know, the consensus could be used to hide and hide evil and pervert justice. But apparently these elders, they refuse, their opinions were rejected. Their opinions were, and they refused to submit to elder consensus. Where in the New Testament does it say that it is a sin to refuse to submit to elder consensus? This is crazy. These guys have some weird theology going on here that elder consensus equals God speaking and you must submit to it if you put, express your opinion. And then we as a group vote and that your opinion's rejected. You have to, you have to basically submit to the opinion of the many. This is, well, I don't know. This sounds, how do I put it? Satanic? Instead to sow discord and create division. This is a very, very serious sin, one we are told in Proverbs 6 that our Lord hates. This- Where in Proverbs 6 does it say that anything about elder consensus? I'm not familiar with that passage in Proverbs 6. This week, the elders received a letter with 13 accusations against our pastor and his integrity, all of which the elders have already unanimously rejected multiple times. Mm. So let me let me back this up so you can hear how they handled this particular thing. So they they received a letter with 13 allegations, but they voted and they, they've rejected this. So listen again. Choose to submit to elder consensus, choosing instead to sow discord and create division. This is a very, very serious sin, one we are told in Proverbs 6 that our Lord hates. 
This week, the elders received a letter with 13 accusations against our pastor and his integrity, all of which the elders have already unanimously rejected multiple times. Nothing. Mm. So your elder board can just vote. And if the elder board votes and there's a majority, you know, they have a consensus that says that, oh, those allegations are false. Well, that makes them false, right? Just a continued refusal to accept the consensus of the elders of Harvest Bible Chapel. Mm. Continued refusal to accept the consensus of the elders of Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, you probably go to hell for that, right? If you refuse to accept the consensus of the elders, you can go to hell. That's a sin, right? I don't know of any passage that teaches this. If these men would express even a fraction of the constant and ongoing grace and humility that we see so frequently in our pastor, they can move beyond their bitterness to healing. Their current refusal to do so is defiling many people, and that is great sin. Scott Phelps and Barry Slaybaugh have been notified that they are under church discipline and no longer welcome in our church until they repent. So they're under church discipline because they refuse to submit to elder consensus. Uh huh. A copy of our board resolution regarding their conduct was given to them personally and can be seen online under elder updates. Please pray for their repentance and victory over a persistent spirit of superiority and self righteousness. <laughs> Sounds to me like it's the elder consensus folks that are suffering from superiority and self-righteousness. Together, these men continue to lead and seditiously promote an attack on the credibility of the church elders, our governance of church staff, and the integrity of our pastor. Their goal is to discredit our pastor and divide this church, and we call upon the people of Harvest Family to make sure this does not happen. This problem is not new. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Church matters are not to be tried in the court of public opinion. Publicizing viewpoints rejected by the elder majority for any reason is satanic to the core. Okay, <laughs> listen to what he defines as satanic. This is unbelievable. Hang on a second. Listen again. Church matters are not to be tried in the court of public opinion. Publicizing viewpoints rejected by the elder majority for any reason. Publicizing viewpoints rejected by the elder <laughs> consensus union that's okay the, so if, if you publicize a viewpoint that the elders at harvest bible chapel have by consensus rejected that is what is satanic yeah let me just back this up a smidge listen again church matters are not to be tried in the court of public opinion publicizing viewpoints rejected by the elder majority for any reason is satanic to the core and must be dealt with very directly yeah because the elder the uh, majority can't ever be wrong, can they? Those who have no standing in a local church but continue to assault it from outside with factious messages must be rejected according to the word of God. We warn the people of Harvest Bible Chapel to separate themselves from these false messengers. Yeah, I warn the people of Harvest Bible Chapel separate themselves from these false elders. They've got some kind of a weird delusional doctrine regarding elder majority and consensus. Don't stand in the middle. Don't seek to mediate. Please avoid these former harvest elders at all cost, lest you incur great detriment to your own soul. Yeah, you can go to hell if you disagree with the elder majority. To be clear, the elders of Harvest Bible Chapel 
30 men who meet frequently and closely with Pastor James and know firsthand his character and conduct want you to hear. We, the elders of Harvest Bible Chapel, are completely satisfied with Pastor James's growth in grace, including the way he responded to the three dissenting elders from January through June and sought reconciliation with former elders as directed. So you can't, if you're an elder there, you can't dissent. It's plain and simple. And if you dissent, well, then you've got to repent. Pastor James has gone out of his way repeatedly to seek counsel, submit to consensus, and welcome and even solicit contrary opinion for the betterment of the church. The elders of Harvest stand behind his character and integrity without reservation or ongoing concern of any kind. Great pains have been taken to review and learn from these accusations, but there are no ongoing issues of any kind. Of course not, because the elders have, by majority, voted that there is no problem. We are satisfied and grateful to our pastor for his Christ-like behavior. We call upon the people of Harvest Bible Chapel to support these actions of the elder board as biblical. Yeah, because if you go against the, if you don't get yourself under the uh, the consensus majority opinion of the elder board, <laughs> well, your soul's in danger. Titus three ten and eleven says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self condemned. Also, 1 Timothy 5.20 says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, which is what we're doing. And where again does the Bible say it's a sin to dissent from elder consensus? I'm not familiar with that being listed as a sin anywhere in Scripture. So that the rest may stand in fear. Before honor comes humility. In one week, we gather in one service to celebrate God's amazing... T- All right, that's, they've moved on to a commercial at that point. But you get what I'm saying. This is creepy beyond all reason. Talk about the Stepford elders. Don't you dare go against the majority consensus. It doesn't matter what those 13 allegations were. We voted, and none of those opinions matter. We, dis- we voted your opinion away, so you must submit to the consensus. This is not a biblical elder board. This is a magisterium who thinks that um, they're speaking for God when they vote together. This is very dangerous. Moving along. Time for a Mark Driscoll update on a related note. down the street don't hear god's word no more the pastor says we don't feed no sheep so get busy and amuse those goats don't be lazy you hit to satisfy the leader's god-given vision supreme if you dare to question him well there'd certainly be a scene look out another one's off the bus another one's off the bus and another one's off and another one's off another one's off the bus hey He's gonna get you too. Another one's off the bus. One by one, people disappeared, never to be seen again. I thought this whole on thing was a joke, but I changed my mind when I saw the pastor jump on the bus, tear out screeching down the street. People were getting squashed like bugs and piled up like dead meat. Look out! 
Another one's off the bus. Another one's off the bus. And another one's off. And another one's off. Another one's off the bus. Hey, they don't care about you. Another one's off the bus. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus. They got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus. They got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. Mark Driscoll update music today. An oldie but goodie makes the point. From the Resurgence blog, the headline reads, Is it all about the numbers? Is it all about the numbers? Written by Mark Driscoll. Just, in fact, written, written recently. And here's what Driscoll writes. He says, on September 12th, Outreach Magazine will release its annual issue listing the 100 largest and fastest growing churches in the nation. For the first time in a number of years, you won't see Mars Hill Church listed. Now, why do you all think that is? Why do you all think that is? Why will Outreach Magazine not have Mars Hill listed as one of the 100 largest and fastest growing churches in the nation? Now, if you believe what Mark Driscoll says, it's because, well, they've decided they're not interested in publishing those numbers anymore. Although they've been publishing them for more than a decade, right? <clears throat> so let me <clears throat> let me continue reading here. I have no criticisms of the list nor any judgment regarding those who participated. I simply pulled our church off the list after conversations with some pastor friends who've done the same. We will continue to count things at Mars Hill, such as how many people we have on Sundays or how many people are baptized every year, uh, but we will use the data internally and not be publishing it much externally. Hmm. So they've made a decision to just no longer publish this information. Why would that be? Are they just, is they wise up? Well, according to a blog post from a, blo a blog called Wenatchee the Hatchet. <clears throat> yeah, Wenatchee the Hatchet. It's kind of a mouthful. Wenatchee is spelled W-E-N-A-T. 
W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, The Hatchet. So you find this at wenatchethehatchet.blogspot.com. And on their Friday, September 6th, 2013 blog post, um, the folks over at Wenatchee The Hatchet published some <clears throat> data that shows that, that well, maybe the reason why that Mark Driscoll and the folks have decided to not publish their numbers is not because oh they've decided yeah we're not just going we're not going to do that anymore but instead that the reason has to do with the fact that attendance is down at Mars Hill down and uh, the figures that i've seen um show you know that Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill kind of hit a peak uh, last year, uh, summer of last year, about fourteen to 15,000 people in attendance every given Sunday, and that things have dropped. Uh, average weekly attendance from July of this year, 11,151, down from 14,000, 15,000 from the year before. So maybe the reason why, if these numbers are correct, Maybe the reason why Mark Driscoll and the gang have decided they, 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 they're not going to be publishing their numbers much is because the pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus has grown to such a proportion that, well, there's a lot of open seats now. And uh, they're, they're no longer one of the 100 fastest growing churches in the country, which then kind of begs the question, <clears throat> since... Um, Mark Driscoll has made a career of being a church growth consultant. Um, so if somebody's church isn't growing, doesn't that mean he's no longer qualified to be a church growth guru? I mean, personally, I, I mean, if you're going to put yourself out in the market as somebody that needs to be listened to within the church growth leadership uh, and, and the church growth movement, well, then you're disqualified to be that when your church is shrinking, Right. Something to think about. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A Heath Mooneyhan sermon called Tailgater. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. (laughs) Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh, thanks. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about Think Geek. At Think Geek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Finding for the Faith sermon review time. Thankfully, the sermon will not be very long. Otherwise, I might burst into flames. You know, sort of spontaneous human combustion. Yeah, if this was longer than it is, I there's a real chance that I just might just, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> But let's do this right. Here we go. Wow, The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, sermon? <clears throat> Guilt trip? I don't know. Comes to us via Ignite Church, Joplin, Missouri. Heath Mooneyhan presiding. The name of said sermon is entitled Tailgater. And this is week one in their Tailgater sermon series. I've picked this particular sermon for a particular point that I want to make during it. I will not spoil it for you. You'll have to listen through and suffer along with me in order to hear the point that I would like to make. It's actually a pretty simple one, kind of a no-brainer, but nothing profound, in fact. But um, let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Heath Mooneyhan and his sermon entitled Tailgater. Here, here, here we, um, we go. 
Jones. We are in our very first week of Tailgater. And uh, I had a discussion on the way to church this morning with my son. And he he says, Dad, why are we dressed up in all of Notre Dame stuff? I said, because we love Jesus. And uh, and he said, I told him, I said, no, it's, uh, we're doing a new series called Tailgater. He goes, Tailgater? What is tailgater? I said, well, um, tailgater is like, tailgating is what people do whenever they're such sports freaks that they go to their favorite teams uh, where they're playing and they, you know, they make sure they bring their appetite and stuff and they'll load up their barbecue grills and their coolers and all this stuff and they'll set up food and they'll cook before the game and they'll play games and they'll just hang out. And he says, well, isn't that before, like, that's before the game ever happens? I, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, don't you think that's weird? And, uh, and I got to thinking about it for a second, and I thought, um, boy, you just need to be quiet, is what I said. <laughs> and uh, so the, the truth is, is, it is a little bit strange, but you guys are a little bit strange. And uh, so everybody loves, I mean, we got Birch up here looking like a zebra up here, and it's uh pretty awesome he's apparently roughing the outside festivities or something right on um anyways uh, stuff gets crazy uh us fans can get crazy sometimes um you know i wasn't always a just diehard fanatical notre dame follower the the fan that i am today um you know it started off kind of slowly and I just, you know, you gotta, you gotta condition yourself to be a fanatic, you know, and so you just acquire stuff over a amount of time. And, and now, like, I have my favorite pair of Notre Dame socks that I wear every game while they're playing. And I know that sounds strange, but whatever, it got us to the national championship. And, uh, that, I, I'm convinced to this day that's why they lost is because I did not pack my socks, uh, for that game that in, down in, uh, South Beach. And, uh, Anyways, you know, I just got all sorts of rituals. Like my my kids will get all dressed up for games that we're watching on TV and stuff, and they even paint their faces. And and uh, but it didn't always start off that way. It just kind of gradually worked up over time. And it's uh, I had a real bad moment last night. Um, yes, Jesus' team won and all that kind of stuff, so we can we can be happy in church this morning. But like. Last night, I was coming up to, to prayer, and so, uh, you know, I just did not want to see any of the game first. I started recording it, and, and uh, DVRs are awesome, and so I get up here to prayer, and then I had to run by the store. And anyways, I was trying to make my way back home so I could watch the game. And uh, little chit-chat, small talk with my wife when I got home. I said, honey, I'm going to go in there. Kids are in bed. I'm going to kick back in the recliner and watch the game. And so I go to get it on the game. And apparently, after I left for prayer, my kids thought SpongeBob was more important. <laughs> and they, they stopped the recording of the game. So I had one hour and one minute recorded of a four and a half hour game. And um, so I had a mini stroke. And uh, thank God I love Jesus because I thought about ripping every one of those kids out of bed. <laughs> Ooh, it was a bad night in, in my household there for a little bit. But uh, anyways, I watched the highlights and whatever. And so, but we get crazy fanatical about our teams. And I think it's interesting of how we will go act like complete idiots and make no mistake. We act like complete idiots sometimes whenever we're cheering on our team. 
Um, it's crazy how we'll go do that and we'll pay good money for all of it. And, you know, it revolves. We put time out of our, our day to go up and, and, uh, cheer on our team. But man, whenever we come to church, you know, we just, you know, whenever it comes to, to Jesus, we're just kind of, mm, you know, we're, we're like this or we don't ever get excited and we're, we're scared to share our faith. We're, I, I, All right. Now, he, I'll make my point this early in the sermon. OK, Heath Mooneyhan is a guy who's, you know, into the this seeker driven thing. Right. Um, which kind of begs the question, um, how much does somebody who attends a church like that actually hear about Jesus? So, I mean, so he's trying to really, you know, this, what he's really going to do here is push hard, uh, get people to, uh, you know, uh, really make a commitment to to be more than just a fan of Jesus. Okay, um, sure. But my question is, after listening to way too many Heath Mooneyhan sermons that I would care to admit, uh, the one thing I've noticed about Heath Mooneyhan sermons is is that they're not dripping, soaking wet with New Testament texts or teachings about Jesus in context. Um, they're, you know, the standard seeker-driven three or four out-of-context verses. And if, at the end of it, if I didn't know anything about Jesus, I wouldn't have learned anything about Jesus in the process of, you know, listening to the sermon. Which leads to a, a series of tweets that I sent out, which culminated in kind of one of those... Uh, really weird colored uh, neon uh, fighting for the faith banners that I put out on Facebook and Twitter today. And here's what it says. Historical fact. The New Testament in its entirety can be reproduced many times over from the sermons, letters, and writings of the early church fathers. This is absolutely true. Okay. This is a great thing, by the way, uh, too, you know, for us because it shows us that the New Testament text wasn't wandering all over the place and turning into other things or morphing into other things. It shows that we got it. We, you know, we, we, the New Testament we got today is the New Testament they got. And, uh, but here's the deal you, you, you listen, and you can't listen, but you read the sermons of the uh, early church fathers, Christostom, uh, you know, Ambrose of Milan, uh, you know, these guys, uh, Augustine, Irenaeus, uh, you know, Polycarp. Uh, you, you read these guys' writings and you read their sermons, and these things were soaked. So, you know, if you, you take a towel, you know, like a little hand towel, stick it in water, you know, got it soaked, you know, and it would be saturated with water, and then you can wring it out, right? Well, in a lot of ways, these guys, their these guys' sermons and letters and writings were soaked, saturated with New Testament text, so much so that even if we didn't have a single copy of you know of an ancient manuscript of the New Testament. We could reproduce the thing in its entirety many times over just from the writings of these guys in their sermons, okay? So here's the question. You know, listening, as if you're an avid Fighting for the Faith listener, how much of the New Testament do you think could be reproduced from the sermons of the average seeker-driven leader like Heath Mooneyhan and others, say over the course of a year, over the course of two years? How about three do you think we'd be able to – how long would it take before we could reproduce the New Testament in its entirety? Now, keep this in mind. There are 7,959 verses in the New Testament. Yeah, 7,959 verses in the New Testament. And in one of them, Jesus said to teach them all that I have commanded you. 7,959 
um, with the average rate of two or three out-of-context verses in the average seeker-driven sermon, how long would it take to be able before you'd be able to reproduce the New Testament in its entirety? Okay, keep that in mind as we listen to more of this sermon. I just want to kind of make this uh, argument today is that maybe maybe it's because that some of us are just fans and we're not committed followers of Christ. Um, okay, so you got people who are fans of Christ but not committed followers. Um, if I were attending your church and hearing as little as I hear about Jesus, I, why would I want to become even a fan of Jesus, let alone whatever you're talking about, whatever this next commitment level is? I mean, don't you think if you want me to really be committed and be more than a fan of Jesus, that that would require you to actually do your job, pastor, and preach the word, all of it? And it's saying, you know, and there's a there's a point in everybody's life that you're going to have to to make because Jesus draws these kind of lines in the sand whenever you you uh, you start off following him. Great. Why don't you read a biblical text in context and show me where he drew this line in the sand? Um, he draws these lines in the sand, and you know everybody's going to have this moment to where they are either going to just remain kind of an admirer of Jesus, or they're actually going to sell out to him. I mean, there's, there's different times in all of our lives where we have to commit to something or sell out, or we just kind of either remain a hobby or, or stuff like that. I mean, I guess uh, one example in business uh, would be there was this, this guy that played football down in Louisiana and stuff. He was really good at it. And uh, so he got a full ride scholarship to to a, a university down there. And so he was the quarterback for this university. And actually, Terry Bradshaw was his backup quarterback. So he was actually pretty good and stuff. And so, but he decided to let Terry Bradshaw, you know, he, he quit football, uh, not Terry Bradshaw, but this other dude named Phil. And so they, uh, he went on and got his degree in education and uh, he became a teacher. He became a teacher and, uh, but, you know, he, he loved being a teacher, but he also loved hunting. Like hunting was his passion. He loved killing animals. And uh, much like I do, I love killing animals. Um, so if you're from PETA, whatever. Um, it's, we're, we feel sorry for you. But he loved killing animals. And, and, you know, you would use different calls. Like I get out in the woods sometimes and I'll use these uh, buck calls or whatever. You know, you do your grunts and stuff. But he loved killing ducks. That was his passion in life. He loved killing the feathered little ducks. And uh, so he realized that all the duck calls that people were making were crap. And uh, so he's like, man, I, I think I could whittle a duck call better than these guys. And so he goes out into his little shed and he starts making this duck call. And I guess it was awesome. Awesome. I guess uh, the ducks couldn't resist it and all this stuff and kind of word spread throughout the bayou that he was really good at this. And so all of his friends started demanding it, but it was his hobby and it was his passion. Like he was a really big fan of this. But then one day the demand got so high, he had to make a decision. Do I go all in with this thing or do I just remain at this little whittling as a hobby. And so he decided... Uh, just a reminder, this story is not found in the Bible anywhere. Um, again, you want me to be more committed to Jesus. Don't you think you might want to tell me something about him so I could you know, find out what I'm getting myself into? Who is this Jesus guy? I mean, 
take him and his family down a road of business. And it was very, very tough business early on. Uh, he would go around selling, trying to sell door to door and store to store, uh, his duck calls and stuff. And it just wasn't working out so hot. And actually one of the stores, um, he remembers them laughing him all the way out of the store. And, uh, now that store today is one of his biggest clients. And, uh, you know, and now you got a TV show about him, Duck Dynasty, all this kind of stuff. And if you don't watch Duck Dynasty, then I'm going to wonder if you even know Jesus at all, you know, because that show is pretty awesome, man. And, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see a guy make a commitment like that back in the seventies and still reaping the benefits, uh, today. And it just shows that. You know, it takes make a commitment to a duck calling business. Right. Okay. Hard work and commitment to something. We can relate to that in the business world. We can relate to that in the relationship world. I remember dating my wife. I, you know, I wasn't that high. I remember those days. I remember dating her and I, but I remember the day that, uh, whatever. (laughs) Where are we? Um, the uh i remember the day where i made the commitment though and and said well i don't want to be with anybody else the rest of my life i want to be with her matter of fact if you ask her the proposal kind of went like this one day whenever i was asking her to commit to me um we just had a big old fight and uh and i guess i had said baby there's nobody else i'd rather fight with and chucked a ring across the room at her and said will you marry me and uh and she started crying and said, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> true story. And, uh, anyways, so far in this sermon, I've heard more about Heath Mooneyhan and the guy from duck dynasty than I have about Jesus. And yet this is supposedly a sermon that wants me to go from being a fan of Jesus to being a full blown committed sold out follower. I don't know anything about Jesus from the sermon so far. Let me tell you something about that day that that we made that commitment. Oh, please do. We walked down the aisle and, and said our vows to each other. You know, we took that commitment serious because, can I tell you something? It hasn't always been easy. It's, matter of fact, early on, there was more bad times than there were good times. I can't believe she stuck with me. And But we have this, both have this deep sense of conviction towards commitment. And we just stuck it out, and you know we have a wonderful family, wonderful marriage. We're deep, we're more in love today than we've ever have been before. And it's been almost twelve years. And but I'm telling you something: commitments are those lines in the sand where you just, man, you've got to go all in. And so what I'm wondering today, and I'm going to ask a few questions of you guys, is what's your commitment with Christ really look like? Is it are you are you committed to Him, or are you kind of Christ who? I mean, I, I asked the question because you tell me so little about him in all of your sermons, Heath. Um, and yet you're, you're sitting there basically saying, I need to step up and have a bigger commitment, right? Well, if I attended your church, I mean, I barely know anything about the guy. Um, don't you think that maybe it would be easier for people to go from fan to committed Christ follower? As if that's really what we're supposed to be doing. But don't you think that would be easier if, like, your sermons were, like, saturated with Jesus' teaching and the things that he said and did and, you know, stuff like that? Just more of a fan. Because um, my concern is, is that this church, especially this church, um, 
might be more full of fans than it is committed followers of Jesus. To be expected, because they barely know anything about the guy. And uh, the reason I say that I think that this church um, is maybe in danger of that more than most is because, I'm just going to be honest, this is an easy environment to come into. You know, you're kind of comfortable here. Um, We work very hard um, to create an environment to where it breaks down these walls and barriers and stuff so people can can find Jesus. And... um, yeah, um, it, it takes more than having a, a, an inviting environment for people to find Jesus. You'd actually have to preach about him and teach about him you know, during the sermon time. And so far, you haven't done that at all in this sermon. It, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think you know, a lot of times what we end up with is just fans. And I know some of you have been around, and you're big fans of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I think you're big fans of Jesus, but fans nonetheless instead of committed followers. This is just the case for a lot of us, you know, uh, just the environments you come in, you're comfortable, you can invite your friends, you, um, I don't know, it's just one of those environments. And so as the pastor of the church, I'm, I'm kind of concerned, I'm not kind of concerned, I'm really concerned. And what I want to make sure that it's not happening here is that we just have this place where you can just be a fan the rest of your life. And ultimately the decision's up to you. You've got to make that choice. You've got to make that choice to go all in with Jesus. I can't make it for you. Your wife can't make it for you. You've got to make that choice on your own. And so, you know, you might be a fan if you, uh, if you really dig this place. And, and uh, Yeah, don't you think, though, that you could really help by, by like, really just, you know, obsessing about Jesus during your sermons? Yeah, it just makes sense to me. I mean, listen, I, I, the thing I've noticed, I'm a sports fan uh, in the sense that I really, really have been a Dodger fan for many years, okay? Going back to my childhood, I could tell you the the names of the Dodgers and the positions they played and, and all that kind of stuff when, you know, when I was in elementary school and junior high. I mean, I was a fanatic, okay? Um, you know, I, I, could, I could tell you the batting order, you know, you know. With you know, Bill Russell, Davy Lopes, Ron Say, Steve Garvey, you know that—that's my team, right? And I could still remember that. Okay, and so you know, and right now, I mean, I could tell you the the hot players on the Dodgers. I could talk about Andre Ethier, or, or um, while Matt Kemp's been injured this year, I could talk about uh, Yasiel Puig, or I can talk about uh, Clayton Kershaw, and you know. Hanley Ramirez, I mean, and Adrian Gonzalez. I could tell you all kinds of things about these guys because, as a fan, well, you know, I spend a lot of time watching the games, rooting for my boys, you know, hoping that they win. Of course, when they don't, it's a shame because you know, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out of the old ball game, that kind of thing, right? You see, fans, they have it. They, when you look at real fans, these are folks who really, really understand uh, and pay attention to. Uh, the thing that they're fanning about, right? But um, here, I don't even see fan-level commitment from Heath Mooneyhan when it comes to preaching about Jesus. So here we got him basically kind of bellyaching, you know, to use the redneck term. You know, he's bellyaching about the fact that there might be a whole bunch of fans of Jesus but not fully committed followers, and yet, I mean, I've... I haven't heard anything about Jesus in the sermon, like at all, except for maybe one passing mention that Jesus might have, you know, said something, but he didn't even give any specifics. So, I mean, I know nothing about Jesus. I mean, 
don't you think that if he really, 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 really wants people to be really committed to Jesus, that the only person that he would obsess about would be Jesus and like constantly be preaching about Jesus and telling everybody about Jesus and saying, oh, remember the time when Jesus taught this or when he said that or when, you know, remember the time when Jesus did that miracle where he healed that little kid or raised that person from the dead or, oh, man, that Jesus guy and, you know, and, you know things like that. But he's not even doing that. I don't know anything about Jesus and listening to Heath Mooneyhan. I don't think any of the people who attend Ignite Church know anything about Jesus because Heath Mooneyhan preaches about himself and tells jokes. He doesn't really preach about Jesus. If he wants him to be committed to Jesus, don't you think he should like exemplify the guy who's totally obsessed about Jesus by showing it in his preaching? You know, you find yourself, you know... Not really caring whether or not it's not that big of a deal if you show up from time to time. Matter of fact, you can miss quite a while and nobody really miss you all that much. You can slide right back in one week and like nothing ever happened. And uh, it, it just gets real interesting. Maybe you find yourself, maybe you really like the music. Cause I like the music here. Uh, maybe you just really like the music. Maybe you like some of the messages or whatever, but either way, like you find yourself even talking about it on the way home. You, you'll be talking about, well, here's what I thought about that sermon. It's either uh, a yay or nay, or here's what I thought about the songs that they sang and all this stuff. And you kind of give a thumbs up or thumbs down. And that's kind of the way that we are with our teams, isn't it? I mean, because we're, if we're a fan, we're, we're like following along and we're, we're keeping track of things, but we, you know, we're the critic of it and we say it's either yay or nay, but nonetheless, you come back week after week. And so I'm just wondering if we are full of fans in here. And uh, I get it though. I get it. Because I- Based on this sermon, I didn't even think that Heath Mooneyhan's a fan of Jesus. Does he know anything about him? I understand that some of you are really big fans. Some of you are fanatical freaks in this place, and that's awesome. Like, I love the enthusiasm. I'm just wanting to make sure that we're committed followers. And, and being big fans really feels pretty good. Let me tell you something. Being a fan of a team that has sucked for so long, and then all of a sudden, like, we won all these games we weren't supposed to win and stuff. And, and don't get me wrong. Right, hey, everybody knows I was around here last year. I was a cocky dude last year. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus is on the throne and y'all suck. You know, Notre Dame's the best team on the planet and all this kind of stuff. And then we lost our second game of this year. And I was just like, just quiet. And I don't have much to say about it. <laughs> But being a big fan feels pretty good sometimes. Uh, we we can feel pretty good about church and being a big fan and stuff because you're, you're you're really an admirer of Christ. You know, you you kind of like what's going on and what He stands for. And uh, and uh, but if we really search our hearts um, and begin to define our relationship with Jesus, there's three questions that I want to ask you today that I'd like for you to answer. Uh, the first question being this: Why are you here? I would throw it right back at you there, Heath. Why are you there? You're not preaching about Jesus, and you're telling everyone they need to be more than fans of Jesus. Am I watching or listening to a Twilight Zone episode? What is this? It's a pretty simple question. Uh, Don't answer it out loud right now. That'd be awkward. But, uh, you know, why are you here? Uh, Because everybody's here for a reason. Um. People that showed up to see Jesus were there for a reason. And everybody has their own reasons. In John chapter 6, verse 2, it says, A huge crowd kept following him, being Jesus, wherever he went. Because, here was their why, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. 
They were there for a show. So is that all we're going to get about Jesus is this one tiny little snippet from something that happened during his ministry? You're not going to actually preach about Jesus and tell us his teaching and stuff like that. You're just going to use this one verse out of context to club people over the head because they're not committed enough to Jesus, but you don't preach about Jesus. This is weird. They weren't there because he was the Messiah. They just wanted to see the miracles. They were just there for the show. It's all right. Jesus didn't turn them away. He understood why they were there, but he made no mistake. He was going to draw that line in the sand. And say, well, you know, I understand the reason that you came, but here's the reason that if you're going to stay, here's the reasons that you need to stay. And so I would ask, why are you here? Really, where does it say that in in the text? If you're going to stay, here's the reason you need to stay. You know, I'm a big fan of Jesus, maybe even a super-de-duper committed Christ follower type. And as somebody who's like obsessing about Jesus, I don't recall that story where they say, he says, listen, if you're going to stay, you need to do this or you need to stay for this reason or what. I don't recall that story. What, what gospel text are you reading? Some of you might be here because we got really awesome free coffee and you just need coffee in the morning. Be like, some of you are like, man, that church allows me to take in my food and drinks into the auditorium. Which is odd. So I like that church. I'm going to come in there. I like it because it's kind of dark in there. So I can take a nap. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's why you're here. Some of you just maybe you really like the music. And I wouldn't blame you one bit. Our band can kick any other church band's butt in the world. That's why I'm screaming right there. Um, At least in a street fight. And, uh, and, uh. Now, maybe you're here because every once in a while you you like the messages. Maybe you're here because you like the kids department, and we got a great kids department. And maybe you're here because your kids get something out of it, and, and that's okay. I just ask why you're here. Maybe you're here because you like the chit chat, because you like small talk. The lobby's full of chit chatters. We we have a, a segment of the experience called hug and howdy. Like you, you get it one minute. And you know what? For half of you, one minute ain't long enough. <laughs> that countdown has zero and you're scrambling around. You'd be like, oh yeah, high five, high five, all this kind of stuff. And maybe you like the chit chat. I'm not a big chit chatter, but I like it. You know, I, and you know, just, I'm asking, why are you here? Um, it's, uh, I mean that, uh, no matter why you're here, I mean, being a fan, it, it's great for a while, isn't it? I mean, being like involved with a hobby or a dating relationship or a fan of Jesus or a fan of team. I mean, that's fun for a while, but then you have to define the relationship. The relationship is where it starts getting a little bit strange and ugly sometimes. You know, um, Jesus wanted to know why they were there. And so that whole John chapter 6, it's an interesting story about um, Jesus starts telling them things like, hey, if you're going to be committed to me, here's what that looks like. Yeah, he, in John chapter 6, he says you need to, if you, you know, you have no life in you, in you unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why don't you read the passage? I mean, if you're such a huge fan of Jesus, in fact, beyond fan, you're like the super committed Christ follower dude. Why don't you actually read the text if you're so obsessed about Jesus? 
You know, and he starts telling them the symbolism that really freaked him out and kind of thought maybe he was a cannibal or leading a vampire league or something because Jesus says, you know, if you, you love me, you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood. It really says that in the Bible. And uh, Yeah, it really does. Why don't you read the passage in context? We'd really like to hear the story. You know, they didn't understand what he was talking about at the time. It's clear you don't either. And here's what it says in verse 66. After hearing that... At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Like, hey, we were cool with you healing everybody, but you start talking this weird stuff about how we have to lay down our life in order to find life. We'll talk about going all in, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're done. Like, we thought cool party tricks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, again, you're not reading the text and you're adding stuff to it. I thought you said you were more than a fan of Jesus. We're, we're big fans, but we're not committed followers, so they deserted him. And so that was the why they were there. They weren't there because they believed he was the, the coming Messiah. They were there because they were fans. Why are you here? The second thing I'd ask is, are you all in? Are you all in? Again, weird question. Why should I believe that uh, Heath Mooneyhan's all in? He doesn't even really preach about Jesus. He preaches about himself. The disciples, whenever the calling of the first disciples, the the 12 that we know and that are famous, uh, it was interesting stories how Jesus called a few of them. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, it says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they'd fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Got two brothers. Jesus, they were doing... Now, notice you're not actually preaching about Jesus. You're just pulling out a snippet from the Gospels, and you're preaching about <clears throat> his followers, not Jesus. In their career, and Jesus came up to him and says, Come follow me, and I'll tell you how to, I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their careers. They left everything. They were all in at that point. They left their boats, their nets, their everything right there, and they followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. They not only left their career they left their family. They said, I don't know what this is all about, Jesus, but I'm all in. Are you all in in following Christ? Because being a follower of Jesus takes complete commitment. And um, why should I believe that you are a complete committed follower of Christ when we barely hear anything about him in your sermons? And you just ripped a couple verses out of context and just glossed over them. You don't seem like some guy to me that's obsessed about Jesus. I mean, based upon who you preach about in your sermons, I'm pretty much convinced you're obsessed about yourself. A follower of Jesus do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to follow him. They're absolutely loyal and completely, completely committed. Uh, I, you know, I think we have this problem with absolute commitment around here. Maybe not just in this church, but I'm talking about society in, in general, but especially around here. And you just got to ask yourself, are you all in? Because a lot of us, I mean, if we're really honest, a lot of us kind of like this selective Christianity stuff. 
Like we're, we're for it. We're a fan. Jesus, yes, I believe you died for my sins. And that sounds great. And heaven sounds awesome. And, uh, you know, I really like your blessings and benefits in, in some areas. But listen, you know, I, I'm just going to pick and choose. I'm just going to pick and choose what I like because, I mean, I'm all for it. But don't you dare tell me. And call me out about sleeping with my girlfriend. Like, I'm all good everywhere else, but don't do that. I'm all good everywhere else, but don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to serve because that's where I'm going to draw the line. And, and, and you know, forget the fact that Jesus says that, that he came not to be served, but to serve. Forget that. I'm all good with everything, but preacher, you better not talk to me about money. You better not talk to me about tithing. Because you know what? That's my money. I worked really hard for it, and I don't need you sticking your nose in my business. Even though the Bible says it, I'm just going to pick out parts that I want. And you call yourselves a Christian, I want to say that you're not. You're a fan. Some of you are really good fans, too. You look So you're not a Christian. You're just a fan if you don't tithe. And what verse says that again? You know, again, if you would just obsess about Jesus and tell everybody about Jesus, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people be, you know, doing everything they can to support the ministry of you preaching about Jesus. Because, I mean, if they're obsessed about Jesus and you're preaching about Jesus, I mean, you get what I'm saying here? I This isn't about Jesus. I don't know what this is. This is a pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. You're not a, you're, you're just a fan of Jesus. You're not a fully committed uh, follower of Jesus. Don't expect me to preach about Jesus because we're trying to be secret driven here. And secret driven means uh, that uh, we can't do like in-depth expository preaching because that creates a wall so that people won't want to come to church. But so I expect you to be a sold out follower of Jesus, but don't expect to hear much about him when you come to my church. Talk the talk, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know what to do. You're just more of a fan than you are a follower. It'd be like it'd be like saying that you was a really healthy eater because you ate salads right before you ate a banana split. Say, so, but I ate a salad. I'm a really healthy eater. That doesn't make up for the nine trillion calories you just ate in that fudge covered banana split, man. And and so you can come in here, you know. Just because you do a few things and you're kind of fanatical and you're enthusiastic when you do it doesn't automatically make you a follower. You could just be a fan. I just don't want you to kid yourself because it's only until we can get honest with ourselves that we'll ever truly know our need for a Savior. And we'll ever truly cross that line of commitment and being all in. You know, there's a... You know... Is it possible? Is it possible that you are not the chosen one? Is it possible that you are not that special? Uh, yep, absolutely. That's because I'm a huge fan of Jesus and probably more like a super duper follower of Jesus. And I know he's the chosen one and the Messiah, not me, because, you know, this is ridiculous. I mean, because honestly, some of us live our lives like we're really special. Like, yeah, I understand what the Bible says, but you got to understand that was written for everybody else but me. 
You got to understand the situation that I'm in, man. You, listen, me and Jesus got this hotline thing worked out. He understands why I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. He understands why I'm not serving. He understands why I'm not tithing. He understands all these things. He understands that the game was on and I couldn't come to church today. He understands all that. See, the the problem is, is that, you know, we as a society, especially in this culture, American Christianity, we think we're exceptional. We think we're exceptional to the rule. We think we're special. We think that the Bible and what Jesus said was for everybody else except for us, except for the good parts, because we really like the good parts. So I'd ask, are you all in? And the last thing I'd ask you is, have you made it your own? Have you made this commitment and this relationship your own? Many of us come to church for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you come to church because your parents make you go to church. You know, growing up here in the Midwest like this, I mean, it's a pretty good shot you were in church whenever you were younger. And it's a pretty good shot that, you know, you you were drugged to church at one point. And maybe you even liked church at one point. But here's just what's typical. It might not be your story, so don't get all mad and say that wasn't me. But here's what's typical around here. It's like you were raised in church, at least off and on. You were as committed as your parents were. And maybe you liked it and all this stuff. And then, then for whatever reason, in your late teens, early 20s, you ended up getting mad. You ended up maybe getting hurt in church. Maybe you found the hypocrisy going on. Maybe somebody called you out in something, not so much in love, and you got mad and you left. And you said, you know what? I'm done with this thing. I'm done with this Christianity. I'm done with this church stuff. And you convinced yourself it was all right. Like, I don't have to go. You know, the big big thing with our generation was like, you don't have to go to church. You can still love Jesus and not go to church, which I've got an argument against that all day. If you love Jesus, you would probably be in love with the thing that he laid down his life for. So I would think that you would love going to church. But anyways, you justified it for a while in your life. And then uh, you, you can still justify it sometimes because at least you're coming to church once a month. And maybe you're, you're, maybe you went because, I went because my wife made me. Can I just be honest? I went because my wife made me. You get to a certain age in life and you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, there's nothing else to really rebel against and life kind of sucks and maybe I'll give this Jesus and this church thing another try. So you come back and then, but the temptation is to fall back into the big old fan mode instead of the committed follower mode because the fan was what you were all along. And now it's really easy and comfortable for you to slide right back into that fan mode. Yeah, you might get committed for like a month. It's real interesting. It's real dangerous. Um, Isn't it weird to be browbeaten by a guy who doesn't preach about Jesus, about being sold out for Jesus? It's just weird. doesn't make any sense. I'll just, you know, be real honest. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, put it in baseball terms. It would be like somebody browbeating me and saying, you know, you're not a, you're not a fully committed Dodger fan. And the guy who's browbeating me is, you know, doesn't even like baseball. And he actually prefers basketball. I mean. It's just kind of weird, you know? My wife, you know, I said, I asked her to marry me and stuff, and she said, yeah, but. That was kind of awkward for me. And, uh, you know, some chicks got some weird demands, you know? 
Um, but my wife had a strange demand. She's like, yeah, but you're going to go to church with me. I was like, okay, sounds easy enough. And I hated church, man. I freaking hated church. Good grief. And so a lot of times I would show up church hungover. Sometimes I'd show up church still drunk. Just being honest. And sometimes I showed up to church begrudgingly. Like, I don't want to, but, I, you know, I made this commitment. I love my wife. I was like, yeah, I'll go to church, whatever. And so I'd sit there like this. And sometimes, you know, I, I, would, I would pray that the pastor would speak sometimes because he was boring and I could sleep. I'd be like, oh. And I'd just catch a little nap in there. So church wasn't that bad. And then I remember, like, I remember like going to church and actually kind of liking it a little bit. And then I thought it was, you know, I would do Jesus a favor because for those of you guys that ignites like your only experience with church, God bless you. But there's this thing out there called Sunday school. <laughs> Sunday school, boy. You thought church was bad. You could go to Sunday school and uh, uh, it kind of got a little worse than church sometimes but like i started actually liking sunday school at one point and uh, i think 10 o'clock to have our first experience around here on sunday mornings a little bit early for me yeah I, I teach sunday school you know who i teach about jesus constantly yeah the kids have you know they, they actually have a joke you know about how much i talk about jesus if i ask them a question the answer is generally just jesus and they'll get it right i mean that's how you know <clears throat> yeah just saying you know if you're really a fully sold out, committed Christ follower, not just a fan, I mean, these are his categories, not mine. Uh, well, then don't you think you'd be like, oh, man, I didn't get enough Jesus in church. I can't wait to go to Sunday school so I can talk here and hear and learn more about Jesus. You know, mm -hmm. that's how fully sold out folks are. Um, but man, these people get up at the butt crack of dawn. And uh, they'd start class at like 5 in the morning or something like that. But I wanted to really feel good about myself, and I did feel. I, I, I started, really, I, I've never been to a Sunday school class that started at 5 in the morning. They do weird things out there in redneck country, don't you think? I started going to Sunday school. I felt really good about me going to Sunday school. And I started serving a little bit. I actually started teaching a Sunday school class one time. It was bizarre. That was a strange class. They didn't know what to do with me. It was funny. Like I could teach a class and not even really follow Jesus. You mean how like you can be a pastor and not preach about Jesus? It's bizarre, isn't it? But I faked it just like a lot of you are doing. I was a fan, baby. I was a fan. I wasn't a committed follower. Jesus has a lot to say about committed followers. He says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 28. It says, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you got to do. You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life. Saying in comparison to loving me, you've got to hate yourself. You've got to hate everybody else in your life in comparison to me. Otherwise, draw on that line. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. 
If you do not carry your own cross and fall. Yeah, again, this is all weird coming from a guy who barely teaches anything about Jesus. He's too busy during a sermon, you know, talking about, you know, people, you know, weirding out about Jesus' teaching to actually read the text. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? You know, so here we got, oh, you got to hate, you know, mother and father. Well, this is coming from Heath Mooneyhan preaching about Jesus out of context um, telling us that we've got to be fully committed, but he doesn't exemplify what this fully committed thing looks like by being fully committed to saturating his sermons with Jesus. So again, this is just nonsense. Tell me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin being my disciple until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost, see if there's enough money to finish it? Here's the thing, guys, if you're a fan and you're okay with being a fan, whatever, just admit it. There's nothing wrong with admitting where you're at. Be like, I'm not a follower. I'm just a fan now that I think about it. I would hate for you to start in on something. Knowing the cost of following Jesus, it's not easy. It's not pretty. It's full of blessings. It's full of awesome sauce, but it's full of trials and tribulations and hardships. Count the cost. Because you don't want to start something you can't finish. Let me tell you what, this race called life is long. And it's hard. And you're going to need your church family and friends to kind of spur you on towards the prize. Because guess what? Every once in a while, life gets really hard and you just don't feel like doing it anymore. You think I'm just, you think I'm so hyper spiritual that I just want to get up every week and be like, yay, I get to pastor these people. No. (laughs) Have you met you? I feel like quitting almost every single Monday. Honestly, I feel like quitting all the time. I I get my eyes off the prize. I get depleted. I get depressed. God put certain people in my life that says, quit whining. Get up off your butt. You were created for this. You were called for this. You were anointed for this. Uh, there we go, the Joel Osteen line. He was called just like the Apostle Paul. Well, I don't see any um, thing that would prove to me that Heath Mooneyhan's qualified to be a pastor. And you, just because you can sit there and browbeat people because apparently their their commitment level to Jesus isn't up to snuff, um, don't you think you should exemplify that by just obsessing about Jesus? He doesn't do that. It's, again, weird double standard going on here. But back in the game, I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's not about my feelings. I'm committed to this. Do you think my wife feels like being married to me every day? No way. Ladies, you think you got it rough with your husband? Let me tell you something. I'm setting whole new standards in in sainthood for my wife. I mean, she is a saint to have to put up with my junk. But the point is, is like we're not fair weather fans. The storms are going to come. Life is going to happen. It's going to get really rough. But this is where you got to ask yourself, why are you here? Are you all in? 
And have you made Jesus your own? Have you made this relationship your own? Or are you just riding on the coattails of your grandpa or your wife or your girlfriend or your kid's sake? Have you made this? Yeah, but I know that Jesus has made me his own because I know all about what Jesus has done. And when I preach and teach in church, that's what I preach and teach about. Jesus, your own. And if you move from fan to follower or not, and that's the question that you're going to have to wrestle with. Let's pray. Done. All right. So there you go. Uh, a redneck browbeating, if you would, um, basically telling us that we need to be more committed to Jesus. And yet the guy preaching it doesn't show any evidence of him and his preaching being committed to Jesus. It's, um, well, sadly surreal. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not an isolated case. There's so many of these types of sermons I've lost count. Don't sit there, pastor, and browbeat everybody and tell them how much they need to be committed to Jesus when you're too busy to preach about him on Sunday. Why should they be committed to somebody they know nothing about? They could barely even, I mean, if you ask them you know, what the gospel is, they probably couldn't even give the right answer because you're too busy strip-mining the scripture for relevant life tips so people can experience life transformation rather than preaching about Jesus. And then you turn around and get mad at them because they're not committed to Jesus. How can they be committed to somebody that they don't know, that they don't know anything about? It doesn't make any sense at all. This is just utter and complete nonsense. The Apostle Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ in him crucified for our sins. This is what Paul said. They want to know nothing among the Corinthians except for Christ in him crucified. Oh, that you know you would do that, Heath. Know nothing. Come to the pulpit or the stage or whatever that thing is. It's week after week after week with nothing except for Christ in him crucified. You wouldn't have to preach a sermon like this, now would you? All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>